0: Citizen Reporter number
1: 383, 11th of July, 2011. Bury me with a sword. What you and I need to do is learn to forget our differences. When we come together, we don't come together as Baptists or Methodists. You don't catch hell because you're a Baptist, and you don't catch hell because you're a Methodist. And you sure don't catch hell because you're an American, because if you were an American, you wouldn't catch hell. Uh, Changes
2: and progress uh, very rarely are gifts from above, they come out of uh, struggles from below Uh, and it's up to the answer to what's next, Uh, depends on people like you.
0: Play the theme song, so I can hear how it sounds from over there. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I am coming to you from Philadelphia, in the state of Pennsylvania, in the nation of the United States. Uh, Philadelphia, indeed, known for its ukulele. One ukulele. And uh, I'm here amongst friends, which is the best place to be. Uh, but uh, even though we're, we're having fun and talking about life and, and the past and the present, uh, we can also talk about issues. And uh, one issue that we've talked about on this podcast in the past has been, to put it in, a, in one sentence, the state of abortion in the United States. How things are going in terms of the law, in terms of perhaps upcoming changes and that kind of thing. And so who better to visit with again than uh, Leah? Leah, I I could mention the place where you work. It's the Philadelphia Women's Center. Center. Mm -hmm. They haven't changed the name on me. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, you're not only working in the world of, of... women's health and, and, yes, everything with abortion and counseling, and but uh, you're also following things as they change in different parts of the country, not just what happened even though state by state is very important. Correct. Um, and to put it mildly and then to get into the details, where it's, it's a difficult time and getting more and more difficult in this country, it seems to me, for anyone who is uh, either in need of such a treatment as perhaps an abortion mm-hmm. and anyone who works uh, in In the field
2: true, um, and just to put it in context, if you look at statistics, one in three American women will have an abortion at some point in their lifetime, and so that should say something about the rate of women seeking abortions it 's not something that 's changed. Since the 1970s, when this started being tracked and documented, um, the prices of abortions really actually haven't gone up because we realize and understand that this is a a service that women need, not just for themselves, but for their families sometimes. Um, And so we've done a lot to keep it affordable and manageable and open for women to have. But you can see from the, the general news reports nowadays that these rights are being eroded,
0: yeah, that the news, um, it's come from different fronts. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people around the world now know f- quite a bit about violence or the threat of violence towards mm-hmm. people um, seeking abortions or providing abortions in the United States. I mean, that continues to be a reality.
2: It does, yeah. um, with the death of, or the murder of Dr. Tiller.
0: Yeah. That um, was a year ago at this point? Or? I
2: believe it was two years ago, yeah. right? No, it'll be two. It was two years ago. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um,
0: Just in case people don't know that story, give the a-
2: Dr. Tiller was a, Kans- a Wichita, Kansas-based doctor who provided uh, abortions, general abortions, first and second trimester. But he was also a later-term abortion provider. So for women who've been diagnosed with fetal anomalies, those who are past their twenty-fourth week in pregnancy, um, due to various situations, um, he would be able to provide them with abortions. Hmm. So it was a rare instance. He was one of the only doctors in the country who were able to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was murdered in his church while serving as an usher Mm -hmm. um, by an uh, anti-choice protester who had been following him for a long time.
0: Mm. Shot?
2: Shot and Mm -hmm. killed. And it wasn't the first time Dr. Tiller was shot. He had actually um, been shot, I believe, in both arms a couple of years prior Mm -hmm. um, and was up and healed and doing abortions within the next week. So this was a man who wore a bulletproof vest to most areas of his life in his own home and, uh, to his church and was still, was still, uh, killed. And then a number of other doctors have tried to take over and provide abortions in the same vein as Dr. Tiller, but they've been met with obstacles at every pass. So right now, uh, Wichita, right now, Kansas is devoid of abortion providers, I believe. And there's a doctor who's trying to open a clinic Um, But due to the targets by Operation Rescue and other anti-choice activism, Mm. uh, they've been cut off at the pass. Uh, So, It's not that
0: legally they can't, because of course there would have already been an abortion provider in Kansas. No,
2: legally they can't now. Kansas is working to change its law where abortions can only be provided under 20 weeks of pregnancy. Um, And a number of other states have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. where they're saying, nope, you can't do it past this certain age or past this certain gestational age. Mm. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. And even when Dr. Tiller was providing abortions for women over 24 weeks in their pregnancy, there was still quite a few um, barriers that he had to jump through in order to be able to give these women the services that they were requesting and needed. Mm. Um, so it wasn't done just willy-nilly. It wasn't done on even, say, like a daily basis. Mm. But it was, a, pro- it was a, a great safety net to have to be able to provide.
0: I know that, and I don't know all the details, so I want to ask you this. Um, There was, I would call it a campaign in the last year against the program Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. which is also involved in the world of mm-hmm. abortion providing. Uh, but just to
2: be clear, too, you, yeah. Planned Parenthood provides 3% of the abortions. It's mostly independent providers, like yeah. what I do, who provide the majority. Is it
0: that Planned Parenthood is just a more famous name they at this point? They have a name. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So they become the lightning rod for a number of, of anti-choice attacks.
0: Yeah. And so the, one of the the big attacks this year, we were talking about violence, but I want to look more into the sort of public opinion slash mm-hmm policy attack. I mean what, what's been going on with them because like, I don't know all the details of this. I just read that there has been a concerted effort, especially over the last year with success in terms of hurting them. Mm-hmm.
2: Um. Well there was the one, the Lila Rose attack um, where um, and she was actually really well known in circles. An anti-choice activist who went by the name Lila Rose would come in to the clinic and create a scenario that could possibly lead to illegal advice. So she would say that she was, you know, 17 and she was actually working for a pimp and she just wanted to have an abortion. And so this was like an actress, like a, like, yeah. A, okay. Yeah. She was an anti-choice. Mm-hmm. It was, it was performance art in some ways. Yeah. Um, and she'd record these conversations and she supposedly recorded Planned Parenthood um, employees giving her information. Like, I don't want to know the age of your, your boyfriend. You don't have to tell me the age of your boyfriend because in certain States, Um, with a a certain, like if she were 15 and her boyfriend were 20 something, that would be considered statutory rape and would need to be reported. Um, and in that case, that could lead to more, sometimes more danger with, with girls and and young women and their family lives and all of that. But as health centers, they're usually mandatory reporters. So what you can't tell someone not to give you that information. And once you know that information, it's a reportable offense, Okay. And so what Lila Rose was doing was baiting these employees into doing that. And whether she did or not, I, I don't believe that I know whether or not these were actually um, reputable.
0: Right. Re- the reports. I, I think they've been doing. debunked. That's what I was reading. But I uh, do know
2: that Planned Parenthood had to go through a, a massive overhaul in, in uh, sensitive, not sensitivity kind of training, but like oh. training for their staff. And they needed to make it known that they were doing this and yes. and all of that.
0: And their funding... Uh, I think is also. No, I can't only, speak right.
2: too much about Planned no. Parenthood's funding just because we're not recipients of it. So I know um, I know a little bit about the legislation that was looking to pass that would have um, defunded them right, and all of that, but that doesn't affect us.
0: Right, right, no, 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 no. Right, I'm just talking about and thinking about the success of like campaigns like that. You know, where someone goes in, pretends to be someone she's not anyway, to purposely get them to say something, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps illegal, and then as a result. You know, public opinion is against them in the in the, the legislative branch. They're passing laws to cut their funding, all based on sort of the lie, uh, because the lie becomes more powerful than, than anything else.
2: And what the anti-choice folks are doing is that they're looking to, quote-unquote, save women's lives. So they're doing this all under the name of, we want to save women. Um, and right now, Pennsylvania is going through a massive issue due to um, Dr. Gosnell, who was a West Philly abortion provider, operating illegally. Um, he had been investigated. Actually, we, the abortion community in Pennsylvania have lodged complaints with the State Department against him because he was doing unsafe practices, um, mm-hmm. wasn't adhering to state and local laws, and the um, the uh, police force were actually investigating him due to illegal um, drug distribution. And that's what they ended up getting him on. They raided his clinic for illegal drug distribution and found unsafe conditions that he was providing for women who were having abortions. Mm-hmm. So it was the, um, the horror chambers of Dr. Gosnell, that he kept fetuses in jars, that he was doing abortions past 22 weeks. All of these things were wrong. His condition, oh my goodness, the health conditions that he was providing, there were cats around and, you know, litter boxes and what the community was serving was basically poor And immigrant women, women who didn't know that there were other choices like the Philadelphia Women's Center. Mm -hmm. And so they'd go to him. And he's also been, um, he went to trial, I believe, twice in the 90s for um, abortions that had serious health complications associated with them. And all of that kind of got swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. But when he was raided, since he is an abortion provider, all of a sudden the state of Pennsylvania stood up and said, whoa, this is what every clinic must be like. And uh, the other clinics in the in the, the state were going, we're not like that. Come see us. You haven't, yeah. you haven't done any inspections on us in 16 years. We've been policing ourselves. Yeah. You know, We've joined these organizations like the National Abortion Federation who will come in and routinely inspect our clinic because the state wasn't doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. We are
2: proud to provide safe, legal, good, healthy abortions yeah. for women yeah. And so now what the state of Pennsylvania is doing is they're looking to quote unquote save women's lives in the way that they want to regulate the clinics to be more hospital-like, to have wider hallways, to have bigger ORs. Um,
0: but they, so they want you to be more like, what, a private hospital?
2: We They want us to be more like an ambulatory surgical center, which is more hospital-like.
0: And they can obligate you to do that?
2: Yes. That's what they're looking to do right now. And what this really means is that um, the cost of an abortion for women would increase uh, mm-hmm. a lot. The Cost um, of
0: running an institution, if I can call it institution, yeah, uh, it would increase yeah. a lot. Yeah.
2: It would, um, and, and the other thing is that abortion has less than a one percent complication rate. You know, mm-hmm. this is a safe procedure. Mm-hmm. This is something that can be done in an outpatient facility. It would be awesome if your own gynecologist could do it in the office. I find it really you know, disheartening in some ways that you have to go to a separate facility in order to have your abortion procedure done. Mm. But if that's what needs to be done, we're doing it really well, and the state is just looking in the the under the header of we want to save women's lives. They're actually looking to complicate it more.
0: Right. Hmm. Hmm. Do you get um, cases? I mean, I always think, well, if on a national level and then on a state-by-state level if abortions are so difficult to get more and more difficult to to get Mm -hmm. access to and so on then there's going to be more cases of uh i mean worse than what we've just talked about um illegal abortion not illegal um unsafe abortions going on and i wonder do you get people who show up uh still today that have gone through some kind of uh under-the-table mm-hmm. procedure and, and then show up and have major medical problems because they went somewhere, you know, sort of in secret and so on.
2: Well, the, um, what we see more so nowadays for the self-induced abortion is we get... Um, oh, that's the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've heard stories from other clinics of, of women mostly in rural areas mm-hmm. who don't have the access to abortion, um, say that Philadelphia does. I mean, we have one, two, three, three or four clinics alone here in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're talking, that's great because you have your choice and there's a competition and it's healthy. But if you live out in, the, in, in rural areas um, and you don't have that access and maybe you're underage and you, you have no vehicle or whatnot, I've heard stories of, of women paying others to, to beat them with a baseball bat, uh-huh. to um, hit them with a car. So, but I don't see most of that since we do live in a more urban environment. What I see are self-induced medical abortions, meaning that they've taken something, um, that they've gotten either via the internet or off the streets in some communities like mysoprostol, they take that, or it's an unknown pill and they expect their quote unquote period to come on. It's Mm -hmm. going to bring down their period, their menstrual. Um, so sometimes we have, we're not sure what they took. And so that can be really, um, it could complicate the abortion that you're looking to have in a safe environment.
0: Are these kind of cases increasing over the last, say, five years?
2: Uh, the statistics that I've read just briefly, I believe that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot in Latin American communities, so outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the community is trying to do to regulate that is to set up. Uh, to use the internet more so to have yeah. doctors be available. And I think women on women on weights are yeah. doing that too, where they're doing telemedicine mm-hmm. to be able to administer um, the mifepristone, and or the other medications that would be used for a self-induced abortion at a certain stage in pregnancy and make this as safe as they possibly can. Hotlines have been set up in Latin American countries mm-hmm. for you to be able to call and to get information about these medications and how to do it and take it and all of that. So that's awesome. U.S. hasn't gotten that far just yet. We're we're looking into the whole telemedicine thing for women in more rural areas because the medical abortion is actually a very safe option for women that they can do on their own at home.
0: Hmm. And so like as uh, a place where, where women can go for these procedures, and with all the drama involved with public opinion and the people standing outside every day. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never seen... I've never been to your um, your place of work. Should I be clinic. calling it? Clinic. That's no, the word that I'm not using. Um, I've never seen it, but I've seen other clinics mm-hmm. in, uh, in New Jersey, actually. I think. Yeah. And then there's always, like, a few people, depending on where you go, mm-hmm. just standing there with a sign every day, every day, with yeah. a cross. Usually it's religious. Um, that's, that's every day in front of your place of work,
2: not in front of our place. We get them on Fridays and Saturdays and Why? fourth Saturdays tend to be our, our biggest day for the uh, most amount of protesters. Okay. We are above the largest daycare facility in Philadelphia. We have five stories of daycare below us who actually are very pro-choice. Uh-huh. Um, and so that does tend to keep the protesters away quite oh, a bit, okay. Okay. but on Fridays we get, uh, we get a handful, and then Saturdays we tend to get we tend to get slammed with them.
0: But so I noticed over the last year, um, especially in the video world, you, your your clinic is making an effort to sort of speak for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to other people speaking for you or about you, by putting out. It seems like a more like of an not an internet campaign, but a, a general campaign to. Explain what is going on inside and show and...
2: uh... We want to demystify it. Mm. You know, if this is... We want to normalize this in the world of medicine. And uh, on um, one of the videos that we put out, we have uh, one of our nurse practitioners talking about how if you went to a bad chiropractor, you would talk about it with your friends. If you went to a bad podiatrist, you would talk about it and say, please don't go there. When it comes to abortion, you don't talk about that. And that's why people kept going to Dr. Gosnell's clinic is because no one was willing to talk about and say, I don't think it's that how honest. I was treated was right there. Yeah. They don't realize that the standard of abortion care is different. And so when we get these patients who walk into our clinic and I ask them about their prior pregnancy history and they tell me that they've had another abortion or multiple abortions, I ask them where they had them. you yeah. know. And then when they tell me, I said, did you have a good experience there? Was it good, not just physically, like, did you have any complications that way, but... Emotionally, I think we're one of um, the most awesome clinics who actually go through a counseling session. We mm-hmm. want women to talk about their feelings, about what brings them there to have the forum for discussion for this thing that they might not be able to go home and talk about around their dinner table or even with their most loved ones, because they feel that they've been, they're going to be judged Yeah, that they're wrong, that they're bad and they're not bad women.
0: Right. But then the problem is that I don't know if you can gauge it, but it's hard to measure if you're succeeding, and by succeeding I mean if more women are willing, and not just willing, but talking about their experiences and instead of you know keeping it hush-hush uh, amongst their friends or amongst their family, um, it, it's very hard to measure if, if that's succeeding, and, I, and I, I don't know if you are able to get a sense of that either. Um, I mean, you live in a city that's perhaps more progressive, so people might talk about things like that, but you get to the suburbs and no one would dare... I don't think still today talk about their experience uh, at an abortion clinic or something like that.
2: I think the conversation needs to be brought up and, and that's something that I'm not afraid of doing. I think at first, um, It was a difficult thing to say when people asked where I worked. I always struggled with, well, I work for a women's health facility. And now it's like, not screw that. I work for an abortion provider. I'm their clinical coordinator. This is what I do. Do you want to know more about this? Tell me about your experience. Mm -hmm. And it opens the door because even if someone hasn't had their own abortion, um, they know someone who has this. This permeates every level of society, mm-hmm. and so it, it, it gives people a chance to talk about something that they didn't think that they were able to. And I see this 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 look of relief come across them, like you're a safe person that I can talk to about this. Yeah. And also, what we try and do at our clinic is we have a number of uh, we have a number of journals set up. For, for women to write it. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and so we leave them, we don't censor them in any way, shape or form. And so you go through and you're able to, to see women's stories, you know, what brings them there, what advice they have for other patients. Yeah. And the other thing that I do for women as well is I have them write letters to themselves. I keep a, um, hmm. a stack of note cards in my office and I, if I see someone who's particularly struggling or says she might she might feel guilty afterwards and we go back over, I say, well, what? why are you here today? Why is this such an important decision for you to make?
0: Mm-hmm. And we go
2: over her list of reasons and I say, how would you like to remind yourself of that? Mm-hmm. And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, you can write you yourself write a letter. letter. Yeah, yeah. Give it to me. Address it. Seal yeah. it up. I don't have to read it. And then I keep them all in my drawer and once every month or so I clean out my drawer and then I send them off. So that way... When it's a month down the line, when things might have changed a little bit, when this is an experience that, you know, um, might be a little bit on the back burner, it brings it up and it says, I trust myself to make good decisions. Like this was the best decision for me at this point in time. Yeah. Thank you. You yeah. know,
0: it, it sounds like you've got creative and I think successful, um, approaches towards these issues like mental and, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the writing of a letter to yourself and going on internally, which is the most important thing, mm-hmm. uh, because you, you're you're taking care of your patients first. Um, but then it starts to make me wonder what would succeed on that other uh, aspect of the public perception, and you know, you put out uh, videos. That's what I was talking about earlier. Right. Um, but what else could you do to get people to? I think it's necessary to think differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, think in another way than they've been thinking, or so many have been thinking for for a very long time. It's, it feels like it. Um, yeah, I, I just I start to wonder what innovative ways you could engage the public.
2: Uh. Well, I think we engage the public on a daily basis because the women who come in for yeah. an abortion they have their support people with them. Yeah. Um, uh, particularly if you choose IV sedation, you're required to have one, mm-hmm. and so we're getting a number of male partners, of moms, of of uh, siblings, friends who come in and they see this, this welcoming, wonderful nature of our clinic. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, we, we say these hard words out loud, we invite them into counseling sessions. They walk away with my business card. They realize that, you know, there's going to be someone either themselves or another person in their life. Who's going to need this service Mm -hmm. just by statistics alone. And that way we can have them go out and come back into a good, safe environment where this is not a decision that's quiet.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, this is
2: something that can be said. In, shared, in, yeah, yeah. It can be quite empowering. And yeah. the other thing that we're doing too is we have invited politicians. We're like, please come see us <laughs> anytime. Walk into our clinic. You don't even have to tell us you're coming. We are always ready for you. Because are they taking
0: you up on that offer? Nope.
2: Across no the board, has. no. Nope. Huh. And that's really, I, I mean, we have the state come in for inspections and all of that, and we are always ready for them because, and we never have to change anything because the care that we do is superb to begin with.
0: Hmm.
2: So, but we want people to come in. Anytime I have friends in town, I want them to come see the clinic. I want to demystify it yeah. to show them that, you know, what happens in an abortion facility is not scary. Right. It's, it's not horror movie-ish. It's not Dr. Gosnell's clinic.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I'm surprised about the fact that not any politicians... I mean, yeah. and that's state level, so there's a lot of people who...
2: And it. it's not yeah, just us. Allentown could. Women's Center, um, Allegheny Reproductive Health, all of us, the independent providers, have said, please, particularly with these bills that have been passed in the Senate and the House now, and we're putting and the pressures on the governor, come see us. Yeah, We want you to come and see us, because you're making these decisions for your constituents. <laughs> right. And the only person who I believe... Um, is on how can I, I forget her name? She's a representative. She's a nurse. And she's the one sticking up saying, no, 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 we can't pass this. This is going to hurt women. You don't understand uh-huh. because she has that healthcare background. No one else on that panel does.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: So they're making decisions for, for a, in an area, which they have very little knowledge of aside from the stuff that's made the news, which of course is, is the bad stuff.
0: Hmm. When they what about when they do these sort of uh, I imagine it's like on the federal level. You if you're debating a bill or working on a bill, you have testimony from experts. We do that. I mean, do, do people representing your clinic, for example, get to go? Yep. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Um we've sent people to have. Some house. good
0: news. Yeah. I mean,
2: we've been very involved in all of this. Um hmm. so we have a representative, or we have a number of them that go to Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also a community involvement. So the abortion community is incredibly tight mm-hmm. and has very good communication. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're ready to go at any given time. On top of that, though, we ask patients if they'd like to talk about their stories, you know, to give this an actual personal side of things. Um, and so we've been, uh, we've used patient stories with their permission about their abortion experience and what this bill would do. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. That's good. I mean, at the very least that you, you have some level of uh, representation and, right. and the ability to correspond, but yeah, still the problem is that they could listen to you and then not take into account what you're saying. Yeah.
2: Because yeah. I, and I think of it too, this way, if, um, and I hate thinking of it this way because I'm the one who gets, to meet these women and hear their stories. But, you know, we still have this perception of someone who has an abortion is bad or dirty or, you know, yeah. irresponsible. So what right do they have to even speak up on something like this? Yeah. And that's the, the profile that we need to change. And that's yeah. what we can work with uh, with our patients. And hopefully they can take this outside to the, the rest of the world. Yeah. But it's a slow process, particularly when you have people outside yelling at you that you're going to hell or you're a bad person. Yeah. Or not a good mother. That's even worse.
0: Not a good mother. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the other things we've been talking about, and and it's a theme that'll come back in this, in my podcast, I think it's been coming back for years, which is that old theme of you have people who play roles Mm -hmm. in this life. People have jobs. Uh, I should say their jobs, not roles and then you might have a job that's perhaps someone disagrees with somehow and and you have the people who say those people in there working in that particular place are evil. I've done it for big corporations myself. You know, those people are evil. And then, if you actually sat with someone from that mm-hmm. institution or whatever it is, you probably could get along. You could probably talk. You probably wouldn't agree on everything, but you right. could talk. You wouldn't want each other to be harmed. Right. Uh, you know, you would. You would. You could debate and discuss and maybe even find some kind of a compromise. But we don't. We of course don't get that in this world. Mm-hmm. Be it in in the world of abortion uh, rights, but you know. Mm-hmm. Aspects. And so it's amazing to me still that, and I know it's obvious, but there are people standing outside who feel that you, not only that you're a terrible person, maybe you don't really deserve to live, uh, you know, and yet if you actually met uh, and, you know, you probably could talk if it wasn't for these lines that we draw.
2: There was a, I thought it was great. Um, Others might have had different opinions. There was a conference that was in Princeton this past October. It was called Open Hearts, Open Minds terrible title name i thought but <laughs> yeah. it was headed up by peter singer and francis kissling or francis kissling or friend no francis Kissling. she started up catholics for a free choice uh peter singer is a philosopher based in princeton mm-hmm. uh mostly known for animal rights but also the abortion argument um and sh- there was another main person who was more on the anti-abortion side. And the whole point of this conference is that it was academic, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, and that people from all sides of the abortion debate were coming together to talk about abortion. Yeah. And it was fascinating because it wasn't the, the people outside who were just Shining yelling. Yeah. It was an actual um, genuine chance to talk about pregnancy, abortion, fetal rights versus, versus, um, woman rights about adoption, how adoption enters into this. Mm-hmm. And I can see that growing over time, mm-hmm. but there was, and we all got along. I mm-hmm. that was the other interesting thing is that there, there, there were no protests, Right. you know, there, there was very civil conversation and you never knew who you were talking with on what side these people Mm -hmm. were on. Although I think people kind of thought I was on the the pro-choice side because of, you know, striped socks and bright stockings and stuff. I didn't have just like my little headband and little matching purse. Um, but it was great because you would start these conversations, you know, Hey, I really like your scarf. And then where do you work? Where do you work? And then because of the, the, the social politeness factor, you'd have to continue the conversation even when you found out, Oh, you work for operation rescue. (laughs) And you work for an abortion (laughs) provider. What else can we talk about here? We have this opportunity and it's not going to come up again. Yeah. So I think it's possible. Hmm. Um, And I, I, I think those dialogues are important because both, both sides or every side, I think needs to really think about what it is that they're, they're defending and what they're in favor for and make a conscious decision to continue to do that. And not just act out of complacency or obligation. Like I've been doing this for so long. This must be right. Right.
0: And i've so, been practicing every yeah. day for five years it's what i do every friday i'm committed i'm committed and at some point no you're just carrying out a, a sort of what it's is it gonna, a ritual yeah, it's um,
2: and that's not right and so every day i walk into the clinic and i'm like do i want to do this today mm-hmm. do i still think what i'm doing is right
0: yeah, yeah
2: i do yeah okay okay
0: yeah i <laughs> know uh, i'm glad to have a little bit of an update um because maybe not everybody remembers the last time you were on the show. It was a long time ago. It was. Yeah. We were in the, well, we were somewhere else in Philly. <laughs> anyway, um, Leah, I want to make sure that if people want to go, they can see some of the, the media that I was talking about, the the video yeah. interviews. Um, what's the website?
2: You can go to IamDrTiller.com and there should be a link for the, um, the provider stories there.
0: It's Tiller, T-I-L-L-E-R? Correct. Okay. All right. Thank you. You can
2: always go to our website too, which is PhiladelphiaWomen'sCenter.com.
0: All right. Thank you very much. And uh, until next, we speak.